Okay, we're in James chapter 3. We've been studying through the book of James. And in the process, we've encountered various teachings, very uh, basic teachings, meaning at the foundational level, not basic like easy. He's saying it hard. <laughs> uh, but we've encountered various teachings about Christian living. Uh, it's almost as if I, I kind of see in, in my mind James juggling all these multiple objects of Christian life. Sometimes he's talking about dealing with tests of faith, temptation. That's kind of at the beginning. Sometimes he's talking about your pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. Sometimes he's talking about how you treat different kinds of people. And so he's, he's really speaking into all the various um, manners of Christian life um, at like a ground level, on a daily basis level. Um, here in this passage, James 3, 1 through 12, here in this passage, James is talking about something we all really do do on a daily basis, and that is speaking, talking, using our our tongue to speak. He's already said this actually earlier in the letter, though. He's already talked about speech and words earlier. Look at James 1.18. It says, Of God's own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. In James 1, 19-21, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In James 1, 26, look at what he says. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then, in, uh, in actually my last sermon, in James 2, in verse 12, James 2, 12, look at what he says. He says, speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So even if James were the only book of the Bible that you had, it would be very obvious to you that your speech is a massive part of your view of your identity in Christ and a massive part of how you understand God himself of his own word of truth he brought us forth of his own will. So when I when I preach through that passage of James in chapter 2, I must admit that I focus more on that sin of partiality. You remember that? I focus more on that sin than anything else. And I did that because I thought those specific verses uh, were more focused on that sin, partiality, than anything else. However, uh, I did not I did not do that conversely because I thought that the way we speak is unimportant to the Christian life or it's unimportant to appreciating all that this letter has to say. Uh, on the contrary, actually. I didn't address speech when I did that sermon because one, I knew that this was later in the letter and two, I, I do think the tongue, how we talk, deserves its own sermon in itself. So tonight, after reading through this text, you will see, hopefully you will see, that there's virtually 
virtually no way of overestimating, of exaggerating how much the tongue can do, whether good or bad. We have no idea how powerful this tongue is. Imagine you're a four-year-old or you, you know, have a four-year-old kid or something. And as little kids, we love having toy guns, toy swords, and so on. Imagine if one of those toy lightsabers uh, that all those little kids had actually turned into real lightsabers. <laughs> Given how powerful lightsabers seem to be in the movies, you and I both know that that would be a terrible idea. I, but here's the thing. I wouldn't even be want to, I even wouldn't want to be in the same room of someone waving around a lightsaber, even if they were super skilled with it, because of just the sheer terror that I have of what it could do, even in a, it, with a skilled lightsaber user, <laughs> I would be terrified. A fake lightsaber is fine for even a child to hold a real lightsaber concerning for anyone to possess. At least I speak for myself. I would be concerned if anyone had a lightsaber right next to me. I would be terrified of the sheer power it possesses. The utter destruction it could cause would horrify me. So here's the thing. God didn't give anyone a toy tongue. He didn't give anyone a, a training wheels tongue. Uh, he didn't give anyone a tongue simulation. And by tongue, I mean speech. I don't just mean the physical tongue itself. God didn't give us fake speech when we're little kids or immature or inexperienced. From the moment we are born, we have real communication. From the moment we're born, we start crying. Is it just crying? No, it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is speaking what I am experiencing. So there are no fake tongues in here. Every single word you have ever said is really permanent. All the things we have ever said are like another slash of a lightsaber. Intended or not, skilled or not, good or bad, it leaves something irreversible. So, here's the other thing. Some people see these verses in James 3. We haven't read them yet. We're going to in a second. Some people see these verses in James 3. Look at the first verse. Not many of you should be teachers. And so some people are like, wow, well, some shouldn't be teachers. Well, I'm sh I sure hope Jeffrey and, you know, the... The other Bible teachers read this because this is about them. Uh, but I don't plan on becoming a teacher, so, so this doesn't have to do with me. So I've dodged a bullet this time. <laughs> uh, not so fast. I think we know that that's not how this works. Not so fast. Uh, look, at what, look at what verse 2 says of chapter 3 before we read the whole thing. Look at, what, look at what verse 2 says. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. Can any of us, myself included, sincerely say that about ourselves? I never stumble in anything that I say ever. Can anyone say I am perfect in this way? Yeah, right. So all of us, all of us need to work on this one, you know, to one degree or another. Nobody should be sitting here thinking, you know, I can sit this one out tonight because I don't say any curse words. So we're good. <laughs> Not the point. Not the point. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 12, 48. He says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, 
much more will be asked. Every single one of you here is hugely privileged with the word of God. You have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, I read a report recently. There are 250 million people still without the Bible in their language. That's mind-blowing. And here it's like, oh, I forgot my Bible. Go get one in that room over there. It's like we're in another world almost of the amount of privilege we have with Bible information. And did you see what, did you see what Jesus said in Luke 12? He said, everyone has been given much, much will be demanded. So don't say to yourself, well, I'm not in a position of teaching. You are in a position of knowing more about the Bible than most people in your life. Let's be honest here. You are privileged with great information, great access to the Bible. So this, this should inspire us. It's like, man, God has assigned to me to have this word in my hands, to be here in this group, to study the Bible. You know, maybe I'm not officially a teacher, but I most certainly am responsible for this word that God has put in my hand here. You're not hearing these words tonight uh, by accident, but because God is assigning to you his word through the public reading, the public preaching, the public meditation uh, of scripture. God has assigned all believers here with some kind of ministry of the word. So maybe it doesn't look like this, what I'm doing right now for you, but all believers here have some kind of ministry of words one way or another. We are all public speakers. We are all messengers. So let's pay close attention to what we're about to read. Here we go. James 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If, we've, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it... We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay. So... What is James using to explain what he's trying to say? Raise your hand. What is James using to explain what he's trying to say? He's basically saying, this thing cannot be this thing. Okay. 
So he's using things to illustrate something, right? What, what were you going to say? Metaphors. Okay, is it a metaphor or analogy? I don't know the difference yet. I'm 26, I don't know the difference. <laughs> I guess I should, you know, do we have any homeschool input here? What's the difference between a metaphor and an analogy? Oh, oh, that's right. Like, sim- so when you say like it, it's similar. Whatever, that's beside the point. The point is this, that what is James using to explain his point in illustration? So we understand the illustration. It's like, okay, this is how I can understand what he's trying to explain about his main teaching. So why do you think, why do you think James chose to use illustrations or images? What are the ben- benefits of images for teaching? What do you think? So people can, like, because the Bible's very hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Most of the time for, like, new uh, people that are listening to it. Yep. So they use illustrations to their advantage so they could make a picture in their heads so they could get the message. Okay. Also, so people couldn't even read it all. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, so people couldn't read. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I think, yeah, I think you guys uh, basically got it. So remember, remember last time I preached when we were talking about partiality, James used what I call kind of like a parable. He did the one of the rich man and the poor guy walking into the church at the same time. And so the church treats one guy a certain way and it treats another, treats another guy a certain way. How easy is it to remember that teaching now because of that image? It's much easier, right? And, uh, I've, you know, I've said this before. I, I feel like I perceive that James and Jesus have really similar rhetorical styles. Like they have the same, a lot of the same tactics of explaining themselves. Uh, so having said that, it is in our best interest to really analyze these images. Um, maybe it's, there's not a strict organization to the letter, but the images that we read here are really vivid and really thought-provoking. Uh, and this makes it uh, simpler for us to see this is what his main point is. He's not just spamming or ranting. There is a unification. There, there's a unity to what he's saying. Um, so this text is repetitive, but it's not dull or boring repetition. It's colorful, colorful it's captivating repetition. So let's organize the text. First, let's distinguish the images from the, from the actual teaching. So let's note each of the unique images in James 3, 1 through 12. Let's write them on the board. So unique images. I say unique as in like, you know, we don't need to repeat fire a million times because it's there a couple times. So help me out here. Just, let's just go in order. Say where it is found, like what verse, and then what the image is, or the illustration, like the object. Verse 3, the bit, the bit, the horse. Okay, so, so verse 3, the bit and the horse. Okay. Um, verse four. I believe the ships also 
though they are large and severe by strong winds. Yeah. Okay, so here we have, he eventually says the rudder yeah. to the ship. Okay. Uh, okay, what else we got? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure about it, but in verse 6 it says the tongue is a five. Or I don't know if that would be. Five. Okay. Uh, five and six. We have a fire. In, in, like, so we have like a spark for a forest fire. We also have a fire that sets on fire at the course of our life. A fire set on fire by hell. So, okay, fire. It, and there's some variety to how we sing that. Okay, what else? Verse 7, animals and mankind. Okay, so we got these, uh, we got these untamable, well, untamable and tameable things. Untamable and tameable creatures. Now, ironic, ironically, there the untamable is the human thing, whereas it's saying that the beasts are the things that can be tamed. Yeah. And verse eight, a restless, evil, full, full of dead poison. Okay. So we got restless evil, and we also have another unique one: uh, deadly poison. Okay, what else? What else we got? Uh, out of the same mouth we'll see blessing and cursing. Okay. This so is this an illustration? No. <laughs> no, that's the real stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's what he's talking about. Then we saw water fresh water. Okay. So we have the logical water. What verses? Um, I don't feel like a racing. <laughs> so we have water, and then we. Okay, we have water, and we also have plants. All right, we got it. Those are all the images, right? Just to save time, they are, you know, distinct, but just to save time, we'll just say water and plants. Okay, now, how do we interpret the images? What is common in each of the images, and what is unique in each one? So let's start with common. What seems to be a common thread running through each of them? They're all related to nature. Okay, they're all... Yeah, they all have a, a certain naturalness. Although, uh, like the horse and the ship, these these aren't uh, necessarily, you know, natural things. All right, guys. Okay, what else? What are some common elements in these? Okay, something 
something small controlling something large here, small spark, huge fire, um, you know, taming these big beasts. Uh, okay. Anything else? Any other thing that stands out to you in these images? Okay, so a certain product, a certain thing that comes from, that comes out of something naturally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I do want to. I do want to give a disclaimer that there is, there is of course a certain point where every analogy or metaphor or whatever word or simile there is a certain point where all of these comparisons. They, they fall apart or they have a certain disconnection. You know, we're not supposed to squeeze every molecule of meaning out of, okay, what is like fire at the atomic level? No, that's not, that's not what we're supposed to be doing here. Um, in other words, the tongue, the tongue, what James is talking about, uh, is not like these things in literally every single way. But what things do these things have that speak to um, what, what he's saying about the tongue. So instead, when we see illustrations of the Bible, especially when they're set in a series like this, one after another, it's like a combo, we should be finding common elements in the full set of images. Uh, Jesus does this one time that I can think of off the top of my head right now. When he, he's giving these parables of these lost items, he tells the parable of lost coin, lost sheep. Eventually he gets to the parable of the prodigal son, a lost son coming back. And that's the main point. Then he finishes it and then he says something to the Pharisees. So similarly here, take the full set of images as a unified point or unified points with like sub points. So I really want to be clear that James's imagery or other moments of imagery in the Bible, like Jesus' parables, are usually just making one or two overall points. Okay. What is the author trying to say overall? That should be our question when we deal with images. These images are designed to help us understand the application. So we, we have them on the board there. So let's look at the first set, as I'm calling it. The first set of images. So it's found in verses 3 and 4. The bit of the horses and the rudder on the ship. Why did I put these in a set um, other than the fact that they're right next to each other in the verses? What is common between both of these image, images? We kind of already said it. The bit is small. The bit is the thing in the mouth of the horse. And, like you grab the reins and you move it. So the bit is small and the rudder is small on a ship. Horse bigger than the bit. Ship bigger than the rudder. The bit steers the horse. The rudder steers a ship. Here's another thing, which might not be as obvious, but, it's, but it actually is in there. Horse is piloted by a human rider. A ship is piloted by a human, a human ship pilot. So the common message about both of these, how does the pilot direct the path of the horse or the path of the ship? The answer, the small bit or the small rudder. So this is what a commentator, his name is Douglas Moo. That's a pretty cool last name. <laughs> Douglas Moo. 
on James 3. Look at what he says. He says the tongue has influence out of all proportion to its size. He says elsewhere, this passage is not so much about control, self-control, that James intends to illustrate, but direction. As the bit determines the direction of the horse, so the tongue can determine the destiny of the individual. Believers who exercise careful control of the tongue are also able to direct their whole life in its properly, divinely charted course. They are perfect, like it says in verse 2. But when that tongue is not restrained, small though it is, the rest of the body, the rest of his life, is likely to be be uncontrolled, undisciplined also. Remember that verse earlier in James 126? If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If anyone does not bridle his little tongue, this proves his whole religion, his whole body is messed up. The issue with your tongue is really a symptom of a more significant, more profound, deeper rooted problem. So don't just ask the question of yourself tonight, do I have self-control with my mouth? That is a good question. Perhaps a better question for us tonight is, what is my direction in life? That affects the way you talk. What is my direction in life? So you might ask, what does direction have to do with the tongue? Uh, You know, maybe that's a bit of an overstatement. Okay, nobody, like I said earlier, nobody should be walking out of here tonight saying, well, I don't say any terrible curse words, so I'm pretty good here on this issue. Um, That would be like a horse rider saying, well, I don't run my horse off any cliffs, so I'm a good horse rider. That would be like a pilot of a ship saying, well, I don't crash my ship into any icebergs, so I'm a great ship pilot. I must be using my ship, my horse, for the best possible reasons if I don't crash it into anything. Is that the way we should view our lives? Well, I don't crash into anything, so I must be doing the best possible thing that I could be doing. What a low standard, what a low standard to live, right? No, we're tackling a much deeper issue tonight. What is your direction in life? Where does the horse rider want to go? Where is the ship headed? What is your direction in life? We shouldn't be asking, what can I get away with saying? How far can I push the envelope? We should be asking, what should I be saying? So here's an application point. You can write this down as a, as a point. Use your tongue to express Christ-like direction for life. Use your tongue to express Christ-like direction for life. Use your tongue to express Christ-like direction for life. Okay, so that's the first set. The next set of images. It's connected. So these are connected in maybe a less obvious way than the ones that I just said. So we have a forest fire, we have more stuff getting set on fire, and we have untamable beasts. What is the connection between forest fire, untamable beasts? The common element I see between the fire and the beast is this. Once you unleash it, there's no stopping the destruction that it will cause. 
it does irreversible, untamable damage if you let it go. But there are some kinds of irreversible changes that you can make to people, to this world, that leave transformation, good transformation. Only Jesus uses his tongue for that every time. Look at Jesus here. He came, I'm going to read it from Luke 24. Jesus came and set people on fire with his word in a completely different way than we set people on fire with our words. Look at what, look at what these people say about Jesus at the end of the book of Luke. So this is after Jesus' resurrection. And there are these two guys walking on this road. It's often called the Emmaus Road. Um, like That's when people say Emmaus Road, they're referring to this. So there are these two dudes walking. And they're so sad because Jesus died. And they don't know that he resurrected. And Jesus is kind of walking on the side of the road. And Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? And they don't recognize that it's Jesus. <laughs> He's like, oh, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, man, we're super sad because we thought this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, I don't know if you know that it is, but whatever. Uh, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, he said, he said he was our Messiah and stuff, and he died. And he even said he was going to come back from the dead. But now it's been three days since he died. And then Jesus is like, wow, can I keep walking with you guys? <laughs> and so he keeps talking with them. And eventually he says, don't you see, you fools, what this Bible actually says? It said that this was going to happen the whole time. And they still don't recognize it's Jesus. They go later. They hang out for, for the night. They start eating. That's where we're picking up. Luke 24, 28 through 32. They drew near to the village to which they were going. And he, act, he acted as if he was going farther. But they, they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it was toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, look at this phrase right here. This is awesome. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to the scriptures? He set our hearts on fire when he opened the word to us. <laughs> Jesus set the world on fire. A different kind of fire. A fire that brings passion and purity for righteousness. So, number two, use your tongue to build, not destroy. Use your tongue to build, not destroy. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Use your tongue to build, not destroy. Okay, the last set of images. So we got the bodies of water and we got the plants. This is where the teaching of James culminates. And he, he's not saying any of this to condemn or demoralize or insult any of the readers. Notice the amount of times he says in this letter, and even in this passage alone, he says, My brothers, my brothers, we shouldn't be this way. And he, he even includes himself in, we all stumble in these ways, myself included. So none of this should be uh, condescending. None of this should be demeaning. Um, but it should be urgent. It should be serious. And we're in this together. 
Look at verses 9 and 10. Look at what he says. He says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So he's saying, this is a crisis. It shouldn't be this way. These things ought not to be so. Well, but hold on a second. Didn't he just say that we are beasts? That we're monsters? That we're entire planets set on fire by hell, each of us? So, really should it not ought to be so? I feel like, given what he just said about us, it should be this way. Why shouldn't it be this way? Isn't this what we're bound to do as sinners? Well, let's just keep thinking about this. Look again at the illustrations. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, so the obvious answer to each of these rhetorical questions. I mean, I don't know what a fig tree is. But the obvious answer to each of these rhetorical questions is... No, that's why the last one he says, neither, meaning obviously it's no to those other things that I said. So these are supposed to be obviously self-contradictory. These are supposed to be like saying, is a circle meant to be a square? That doesn't even make sense. That's not even possible. So if you saw a grapevine grapevine producing figs, figs, (laughs) you wouldn't say to yourself, well... That's what the grapevine was originally made to do, I guess. No, you would say, why and how is a grapevine producing figs? <laughs> it was not made to do that. It doesn't even make sense. Why is it doing that? So here's the thing about human beings. We were not originally made to be untamed wild beasts, worlds of fire, of destruction. No, we were made very good in the image of God. We should never say, oh, you know, that's just my human nature acting up. You're just going to have to deal with it. Sorry. (laughs) No, when we destroy other people made in the image of God with our tongues, we are not doing what is in our human nature. We are doing things from our sinful nature, not our human nature. We do things that are anti-human. That's what sin is, anti-human. Just like a salt pond yielding fresh water would be anti-salt pond. And think about this. Jesus himself took upon himself a human nature without sin. Not a sinful nature. He took upon himself a human nature. So I know we make this association like, oh, I'm only human, so that's why I make mistakes. No, we, we do wrong things because we are sinners. Not because we are human. Humans were originally very good. That is our sinful nature, not our human nature. Jesus took upon himself and maintains a human nature to this day and will continue to. It's not supposed to be this way. Not supposed to be this way. That's what James means when he says these things are not to be so. He's not saying, you know, this really hurts my feelings that you guys say words like this. I wish you wouldn't. He is saying... It doesn't make sense for us to do this. We, we were made for our words to create, to build and protect life as God's words build and protect life. Of course, his to an infinite degree. We don't create ex nihilo. Uh, <laughs> so let's keep that distinction clear. 
So here's the third exhortation. Remember, every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. Let me show you how Jesus viewed his speech. Let me show you how Jesus viewed his speech. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 through 21. I'm sorry, 17 through 21. So Jesus is in the synagogue in his hometown. It says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Look at what Jesus wanted to say at that moment. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus breaks our slavery to sin with his mouth, with his words. John 1, the gospel of the word who became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And then look at John 17, verses 6 through 8. This is Jesus praying to God. He says, I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave to Me out of the world. Yours they were, and You gave them to Me. And they have kept Your word. Now they know that everything You have given Me is from You. Because I have given them the words that You gave Me. And they have received them. And I've come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Yes, Jesus is perfect. <laughs> he is the image of the invisible God. What we were supposed to be. And day by day, those of us that are in Christ, God is conforming us to be more and more like that. So from these four verses, we can reorganize them to see James's main points. Here they are. The first one, the reality. Reality. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. That's the reality. Why not? Why, why shouldn't we become teachers? One, we, we, struck, we, we are judged with greater strictness. Two, We all stumble in many ways. That's really the problem. We all stumble in this. That's the reality. Nobody here does a good job with their tongue. Myself included. That's the reality. Not many of us should become teachers. Two, the rebuke. These things ought not to be so, my brothers. We were not made for this. That's the rebuke. So the reality, we got a problem. (laughs) Rebuke, number two, it's like, uh, it shouldn't be this way. That shouldn't be the reality. We're not settling for that. So that's the rebuke. And here is the redemption. We were liberated by the perfect man who revealed the perfect word, the image of the invisible God, to become perfect image bearers of God 
If anyone is not stumbling in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Christ was that perfect man. The word that became flesh, lived, and died obediently on our behalf. So we should speak and act as those who are under that law of liberation that Jesus brought us. Not as those who are under judgment or those that always need to prove themselves by what they say to God or anyone else. No, we have been liberated from our identity to sin. And now we are given a royal status of Jesus' perfect righteousness. Shall we, we should speak and act as those who are already liberated by Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the clarity of this message in your words. And so I simply ask that in the minds of all of us, your word from, from James, that we would internalize these images and we would see the sheer, the sheer power that we have in our tongue. I pray for everyone here that's been examining themselves in this moment. I pray that nobody here would be discouraged to the point of, of apathy or be paralyzed by their guilt or their shame for the way they talk or the way they communicate or the way they deal with other people. We confess our sins of speaking wrongly of betraying people, of misrepresenting other people on purpose for our own ad- advantages. We, we also confess the sins of not speaking your word when we're supposed to, not acknowledging those moments to proclaim the liberty that we have in you to other people. But God, we know that this guilt is not fatal to us Because your son died after speaking the perfect word to us. After proclaiming liberty to us with the good news of the gospel. So I pray for everyone in here to not not be responding to this message because of sheer shame. Or the desire to prove themselves before other people. But that they will respond... Because of the freedom they now have in you to speak and act as those who are under the law of liberty. We thank you, God, for showing us the image of the invisible God. Because we most certainly could not bear your image perfectly. We have all failed. And so we thank you for providing us the perfect man uh, who, who not just is the ideal but is the promise of what we will one day become totally glorifying to you. And so in that time, God, we ask for your spirit to sanctify us and to sanctify the way we speak as those who are free, as those who proclaim the gospel of liberty in Jesus Christ to those around us. May you bless our time and our breakouts that we continue to meditate and ponder what your word says and that you Sanctify us through prayer and conversation. I pray this all through Christ.